welcome to our next issue of Buzz on Book Biz. This podcast has been a great opportunity for me to interview fascinating people in the book industry, and today is no different. Today, my guest is Amy Collins. She has been in the publishing industry since 1991. She's been a book buyer for a chain of bookstores in New York, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania. She sold books to Barnes & Noble, Target, Costco, Books A Million, as well as independent bookstores and libraries. Because of her marketing experience, she is uniquely positioned to help authors now as a literary agent. She's with Talcott Notch. Besides being a USA Today and Wall Street Journal best-selling author and on the National Advisory Board for Ingram Spark, she is a featured columnist for the Book Designer, Writer's Digest Magazine, International Book Publishers Association, and a sought-after teacher at conferences worldwide. Wow, we are so happy to have you here. Amy, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Oh, I was so looking forward to this. I'm such a fan. Well, welcome, and uh, let's just dive right in. And uh, let me ask you this. Have you always loved books? Oh, yes. I always loved books. I, I'm, I will tell you that if it wasn't for English and social studies, I probably would have flunked out of high school. My English levels were so high that they kind of helped me with all the D's and C's I was getting in, in math and science. And I, have, I was a, an early, early reader. You know, when you're in, in kindergarten or first grade and by the time you're in second grade, they put you in different groups. There's the Cardinal group and the, and the Robin group. And, but we all know that the Cardinal group was for the faster readers and uh, you know, I, I I have been eating books since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. I've always loved them. So tell us about how you got into selling the books in bookstores. Well, um, I was a musician. I My degree actually is in, I, I have a degree in English, but my main degree is in music. And I was a musician and trying to make a living as a musician. I don't know if you know anyone who's tried to make a living as a musician. But it's really hard. It makes making a living as a writer look like a cakewalk. Uh, so I, one Christmas, had no money, and I got a part-time job in a bookstore so I could make Christmas present money for my family. And by February, they had asked me to stay. It was only supposed to be a, a holiday gig. But by February, a very lovely man named John Borick, who was the vice president of Village Green Books, asked me to be his assistant. And a year later, I was a book buyer, and I did that for the next five years for the Village Green Books. It was a 16-store chain based up in Rochester, New York. After five years, one of my reps was leaving. She was hopping and going over to HarperCollins, if I remember. And she said, you know, you, you'd be good at this. Uh, maybe you want to be a sales rep, and you sell to bookstores. So I applied for her job, and I got it. And over the next 15 years, I worked my way up corporate America. I became the director of sales for a, a pretty large half a billion dollar a year publishing company. And then, um, you know, at that point, I was only 25, you understand. But uh, that's how it all started. Wow. So you really came to understand the, the book sales end of things. And uh, what what moved you to leaving that world and becoming a book agent? 
Well, I have been doing sales and marketing for 28 years. Either I owned my own book distribution company for 14 years. As I said, I, I worked for large publishing houses. I have been sitting in the lobbies of Barnes and Noble and Michael's Arts and Crafts and Home Depot. And do you remember Borders and, and Crown Books? I mean, I've been sitting in their lobbies and selling to their buyers for years. Convincing people that a book is good. I know how to do that. But I really wanted to start the process earlier. I wanted to get more involved with the authors. I love authors and I love good stories. And I personally read a lot of history, a lot of historical fiction, nonfiction history, but I also read sci-fi, fantasy. I have my own personal taste. And I decided that as long as my career was getting into what we'd call the last third, I wanted to spend the rest of my career reading and working with the kind of books that I truly loved. Now, when you sell a book for a publishing house, you like all the authors. You love a few of them. Um, you like some of the books, but you don't like all of the books. Let me be honest. You know, a, a book on St. John's Wort or a book on, on paper crafts was fine. I had no problem with that, but it wasn't my personal passion. And so now I get to spend every day working with books that I deeply love. And I, I, I'm so excited. I love that. Oh, that's great. So really, it was all about bringing your career into alignment with who you are. Yes. And, and shouldn't we all do that? <laughs> you know? Well, if I could find a book about a dog-loving, motorcycle-riding, you know, folk musician, hero... Uh, I would, but th this is the closest I can come. Oh, that's awesome. So you actually then uh, work only with artists or authors in those genres, like you mentioned sci-fi and those kinds of books? Yes. I started uh, as an agent. I've been selling rights for many, many years with my distribution company, selling international rights. Uh, that was part of my job. But an actual lit agent, I've only been doing that for about 14 months. And I made a commitment to myself that I would only take on 12 clients. 12 clients, at least at this point, is, is a reasonable number of clients to work with so that they can get all of me that they need every week. If I had taken on more than that, I'm afraid I, I, I might be falling behind. So, yes. One of my clients has written a wonderful nonfiction account, and it's a photo journal book about the first year of Sesame Street. That's coming out in December from Abrams Books. So I do do a little nonfiction that's outside of sci-fi fantasy, but that's why I say I do a lot of history. And Sesame Street was a long time ago, the first year. So I, I count that. But Trevor Crafts in his book, it's a little out of the sci-fi fantasy, but Trevor Crafts is a author who does graphic novels. He does a lot of sci-fi and steampunk. So he still fits in my area. Okay. So sci-fi and fantasy, even those two are fairly broad, I would think, right? Yes. There's different types of sci-fi and there's different age categories, like do you focus on adult or teen or children's or any of those markets? I, I, I do also do historical fiction because the, the skill set needed to write good fantasy and good historical fiction, there's a lot of overlap there, a lot of overlap. 
And so the world building that comes is more important to me than the age group. After 30 years of selling books, I definitely know what makes a good YA novel. I know what makes a good middle grade. I know the rules. Um, And the rules change. So keep in mind that a big part of my job has always been to pay attention to what the rules are today. A word count for a picture book is not the same as it was in 1974. And uh, if if I decided to do a historical novel, And I tell my person, my author, they cannot go over 110,000 words. And they say, but Ken Follett, and I, you're not Ken Follett. And when Ken Follett got started, the rules were different. So sorry, you're a debut author. You need to follow the rules. You can break them when you and Ken are having, you know, cigars on the back patio because you're both equally famous. Well, that's kind of true in lots of areas of life, right? That you get yeah. to the rules once you've uh, arrived, as it were, right? Yes. <laughs> so what do you look for in manuscripts? A couple of things. Uh, whether it's historical fiction, sci-fi, fantasy, but for fiction, I look for a plot that I haven't seen a dozen times before. Uh, I look for, I I ask for the complete story. If I'm interested in someone's writing, but when someone queries me, the first thing I do, even before I finish reading their query letter, I will read it to make sure it's meant for me. If they tell me they have a St. John's Wort paper mache book, well, then I don't need to read their submission, but I'll read the query letter quickly. But I jump right into the first few pages. I always read the first few pages because I can tell if they've got writing talent in their first few pages. I can't tell that from their query letter. And after I read the first few pages, I want to know that they've got, they really worked on their craft. If somebody, if in their first few pages, if they're, if they're waking up from a dream or if, if there's some sort of really just over, you know, just overused trope, I'll pass. Um, So that, because that tells me the person hasn't done their research. They don't understand what's, what the readers are looking for today. So I, I like the first few pages. And then if, if I think they're talented and if I want to read more, I ask them for the entire story arc in a synopsis and the first few chapters. So in the query letter, how much are they sending you? Is it just the first few pages? I use Query Manager. And if you go to queryamy.com, It'll take you right to my query manager page, but a lot of agents use it. And what it is, is it's a form that you filled out. It you fill out. Um, you know, query me is query me is the brand name. Um, it's a, and again, I link mine to query Amy at, um, dot com. but query the, the query page that I'm talking about, it, it gives you a form that you can fill out. You can cut and paste your, your query, your opening cover letter. And I actually say, please, please include the first, I think I asked for the first 10 pages. And I ask for those right in the, because I might as well start reading. If you're, if you're any good, I, I don't, you don't, we don't need to go back and forth. Send me your query, send me your first 10 pages. And I do not accept queries via email. And more and more agents are getting to that. They, they just can't. We have to save email for our existing clients and for all of the many editors that we're pitching. So I take queries through, through Query Manager. Okay, good to know. And so 
what percentage, I mean, if you're, if you're limiting yourself to 12, is that 12 at any given time or 12 yes. in either? Now that was just for the first year. I am, I am now ready to take on a few more. Um, I, I wanted to really make sure that I honored and I did, you know, I really enjoyed it and I sold some projects. So it worked and I now feel like, okay, I can take, I can responsibly take on a few more clients. And because of that, um, you know, I opened up query manager again, but I am looking a lot right now for, again, for nonfiction, especially. And when you asked what I was looking for in nonfiction, what I'm looking for is something completely unique. I, I, please forgive me. And some of you guys are going to hate me when you hear this, but, but if you have a breast cancer memoir, or if you come from a family of origin that was troubled, I get it. I, I actually share a lot of that with you. But the book is not enough. I need a concept that's higher than I overcame breast cancer or I overcame a bad childhood. Or there are thousands of self-published memoirs out there. I don't need a memoir or any nonfiction advice book that could easily be self-published. I need something that's higher concept than that. Someone you- recently approached me, and mm-hmm. I won't mention who, but she approached me with a, you know, how to make more money book. And um, we actually, I'm, I was very, very excited. We were talking to her. I wasn't interested in that. Everybody's got ideas about how you can make more money. Financial planners, tax accountants, But all of a sudden, she came up with this idea about how you can add an extra zero to your annual salary. Now, that's a hook I can get behind. You want to put a plan together for me on how at the end of next year, I can have an extra zero on the end of my income? That I can sell. See what I'm saying? Yes. So you're looking for that unique approach to a well-worn topic, in other words. Yeah. Okay. So... If you if you were to say what's what's the ideal book that you would like right now? I would love a a kind of a mix. I, I'm a huge fan of Ken Follett. I'm a big fan of, of I would love a sweeping thousand year overview book um, with of some sort of historical fiction that um that includes I, I love what Edward Rutherford is doing with his serum and his New York and his Paris, but I'd love to see something like that in the fantasy realm or the sci-fi realm. Mm-hmm. A, a a one book, not a series, a standalone book that literally takes you through hundreds of years. That that interests me. I also um, I'm a huge fan of Edwardian, um, excuse me, of English and Tudor fiction. And I have yet to see a historical novel based on, uh, there's this woman, her name is uh, Hortense Lyle. She was uh, Lady Lyle. Um, and she she plays a part in a lot of letters that goes on during King Henry VIII. And she tried to get her daughters um, in, in court when Jane Seymour was queen. They talk about how she sends quails over. This woman was was fascinating. And she was always a part and around the Henry VIII court and all of his queens. But there's no novel on her. I would love to see someone who wrote a novel about her. Honor Lyle is her name. (laughs) 
that could perk the ears of somebody out there listening, I'm hoping, <laughs> who likes, <laughs> likes historical fiction. I actually love historical fiction. And uh, I, I have actually written a historical fiction screenplay, which I'm thinking of turning into a novel because I think it would be uh, get more attention, let's just say. Um, but yeah, it's it's great if you have been around in that genre enough to know what hasn't been done yet and you see an opportunity. So that's a great thing for our listeners to, to know about. Michelle, now, if you've written a screenplay, especially for historical fiction, yes, writing a novel would be great, but please pay attention to what's going on in audio. There mm-hmm. are companies uh, like Dreamscape and Realm, and there's these audio that used to be Serial Box. Um, these companies are producing full audio, like radio plays, fully scripted and acted out with multiple actors, radio plays. So if you've got a screenplay, you might want to consider pitching it for audio before you go all the way through the process of turning it into a novel. Interesting. Okay. Good to know. Good to know that. So um, let's get back to how the process works with a book agent. Uh, Maybe there's some listeners out there that don't quite understand. Now, does the author pay you or you are paid by the publisher if they accept the proposal that you send to them? The way it works, unlike other parts of the industry, you will pay your editors up front. You will pay your marketing people, all of them. But an agent, if the agent is is acting within the guidelines of our industry, takes on a client and does not ask for nor accept any payment. They, for the, there are agents that will charge a consulting fee if you want them to read and review your manuscript. That's different. I don't do that, but I, I absolutely, I have no problem with agents that do. If they've got some real strong editing and design chops and they can really help design your query beautifully, absolutely pay them. But once I've taken on a client, my job is to work with their manuscript, to work with them, to shape them, their pitch, and to do all of the pitching and connecting with the publisher. And then I get 15% of whatever the deal is that I manage to work out with them. But that deal is based on a lot of, I mean, right now I'm building websites for a couple of my clients because I know how. Not a lot of agents will do that. I don't charge for this um, because I want my clients to have a, a gorgeous website when I'm pitching them. So it's in my best interest. But the process is very, it's very, very simple, but it's very discouraging for authors. Because I work for free, sometimes for a year or more, I can only take on the clients that I truly believe I can sell. As much as I'd love to help people get ready for an agent, I I can't do that. I, I I've got my hands full getting my clients ready for publication. Right. Well, this means that you really do need to know what publishers are looking for and what's going to be a winner and what isn't. And do you think that for you, that comes out of all of your experience with book sales or does it come from the the time that you spent working for a publishing company? Neither. Because the truth is, is that my years selling books and my years working for publishing and even my years up until a year ago as a distributor, that's all old news. You know, nobody wants, uh, you know, nobody wants the secret right now. Nobody wants Hunger Games. Nobody wants any of it. 
They want new stuff now. It doesn't matter what I knew back then. I know right now that World War I and World War II books are incredibly difficult to sell. They're incredible. People are so, I mean, our industry is so stuck with World War II novels. But I also know that in a few years, the time will be right for them again. Everything comes back around. Everything comes back around. Maybe right now, the entire industry is looking for another Eckhart Tolle. Because, you know, we had Eckhart Tolle. And then there was a few years where no people were just like, no, we're done. Maybe the time is right. My job is not to pay attention to what I used to know. It's to constantly be in contact with editors to see what they're looking for today. Is it is it more than even just knowing what editors look for? And is it kind of keeping tabs on the culture? You know, like one of the things that I have wondered is, you know, uh, thanks to the pandemic, are we going to see like a giant tsunami of apocalyptic literature come out of this? <laughs> we already have. If my query box is any indication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're already seeing those books come. Yes. Yes. Dystopian, apocalyptic, lots of thinly veiled uh, plot lines that 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 sound like coronavirus, but aren't. Um, I'm very I stay away from most of those. It's this is a it is a, a tragic time in our history, mm-hmm. but it's a wonderful time for creativity. And I would ask people to dig a little deeper than than what's gone on in the last 20 months for their inspiration. Go deeper into the human experience. Right. Good advice. (laughs) So tell me uh, more about the fantasy books that you are interested in seeing. Well, I have a fantasy novel that I'm pitching right now uh, that involves a, a character that when I first met him, I thought, oh, is this another Witcher? I don't know if you're familiar with the Witcher series. It was a graphic novel series, which became a very popular uh, series on, I believe, Netflix. Um, but what I have here is a character, what this, this author has written is a character who is completely, um, who is completely unique in the sense that he's immune compromised. He has an immune disorder. Uh, there's physical scarring. There's um, there's gender identity and sexuality uh, nullification that that really brings into but but no, they're not just pulled because it because right now LGBTQ is hot or because you know different diseases are hot. She literally created a character where all of his motivations and what makes him so intriguing are a lot of his physical and emotional characteristics. And so she created this really fascinating character. Is the story the most amazing plot line ever? Not ever, but it's good. But in this fantasy novel that I'm talking about, I had she just wrote the most compelling character. I've got other fantasy novels that I'm working with that, you know, two young girls, I just sold one the other day about two young women who, you know, are best friends and they're, they live like sisters. And their their friendship is so it's it's not so much who they are, but their relationship. So when I say that fantasy needs to be something unique, I do not want to see a plot line that we've seen a million times. For heaven's sakes, you know, don't be a fish out of water, angst ridden teenage girl. 
who suddenly realizes that she has some superpower. We've done that. But but relationships and characters laid on top of completely unique plot lines. There was a New York Times. Uh, I, I was reading the New York Times list the other day. And, and I was on the fiction list just seeing what was what. And I read a quick synopsis of, of a new book that, that appeared on it this week. And it said, two fathers who had a great deal of trouble accepting their homosexual son's lifestyle um, uh, must band together, must, must, must come together despite their misgivings to hunt down their son's killer. So what this is, is two, two gay men who got married, both of their fathers had written them off. But now the fathers have to overcome whatever emotional or, or societal disapproval they may have had to hunt down their son's killers. That's a great, unique hook. I mean, it's a murder mystery. But do you see what I'm saying? It's got some. I loved that. I, just, I mean, I don't do murder mysteries, but I thought now there's there's a masterclass right there in a unique, a unique plot line. Oh, that's that's great. For you to see uh, a book like that, that has that those layers that you're talking about and not just sort of a straightforward fantasy that's based on, you know, a Star Trek episode or whatever. Because yeah. <laughs> you know? you're right, we've seen all those. Yeah. If you write sci-fi and if you've not seen every episode of Doctor Who, make sure you do before you query anyone, because I promise you there's a really good chance that one of your plot lines has already been done in Doctor Who. <laughs> oh, that was such a quirky series. I remember Doctor Who. It was, yeah, it was one of those ones that you just thought, oh my goodness, what are they going to do next, right? <laughs> so tell me about book proposals. Do you write book proposals or does the author write the book proposal? An author will write a book proposal to get an agent. An agent will rewrite the book proposal or perhaps start from scratch. They'll write a log line, a pitch line, and a, a synopsis. They write their own. To so the author has to write one so that I get intrigued. I have to write one so the editor gets intrigued. Then the editor has to write one so the pub board gets intrigued. Then the publisher has to write one so that their sales team gets intrigued. Then their sales team has to come up with a pitch so that the buyers are intrigued. Writing pitches and book proposals is a never-ending cycle, and it has to be redone every step of the way. So you can't write the very best book proposal right from the get-go because it has to be repurposed with slightly yes. different angles for each exactly. of those people along the trail that you just mentioned. Yes. Okay. And so it's you not that it's bad. It's, you it's have just, to write every one. Yeah. So you, it's not that it's bad that it has to be rewritten. It's just that it has to be retargeted. Exactly. And right. actually a book proposal or a pitch that 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 you as an author will write to one agent would be very different than than the one you pitch to the next. Maybe I've said I want deep character driven sci fi fantasy. So my pitch, you'd focus on your characters. But one of my coworkers who also loves sci fi wants a space opera um, is looking for unique plots. So even though you've got great characters, you also have a unique plot. So you focus on that for that pitch. You never just write one pitch and then you're done. Right. Okay. It's a bit like writing a cover letter for a job application. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what is your advice to authors right now who are entering into this whole space of 
how do I find a book agent? My advice is don't, not yet. I want to stop you before you find an agent. I want you to answer the following questions. Has your book been read by beta readers? People whom you do not know and who do not give a flying squirrel's whisker what you think. They're, they're, who are not your friends, who are not going to you know, want to be nice to you. Has your book been read by them? Have you done your research? What other books out there has been published that share your readership in the last 12 to 20 months? I don't mean the book has to be just like yours, but do you, does your book have readers? And what if so, if you know that your book has potential readers, what books are sitting on their bookshelf right now? What books have they bought in the last 12 months? Because you may have a fantastic book idea, but it may have been a great idea in 2004. It may not be a great idea today. So my first thing is, has your book been beta read? Have you got, if you edited it and changed it, have you done your research? Do you know if there's a market for your book and what that, what those books are, who those authors are that you share your readership with? Then, and only then, if you're ready, that means that you know your, your genre, you know your, your market, then you approach an agent. If you've done those first two things, if you've taken people's advice and, and let lots of people read your book and you've polished your manuscript, and if you've researched your, your genre and your industry, my next question is, do you belong to all or at least most of the organizations in your genre? There are nonfiction uh, authors guilds. There are historical fiction authors guilds. There's sci-fi. Do you belong to those organizations? Are you reading those newsletters? Are you working on your craft? Because as an agent, I better see all of that in your query, or I'm going to think that you're just you're just not that that committed to being a successful author. I know lots of people who can write. I don't know a lot of people who can be a successful author. Oh, that's great that you make that distinction because you're right. It's like anything in life. Uh, You could be a great athlete, but you're not going to go pro because you don't have the commitment that's involved. Exactly. I've got a pleasant singing voice, but nobody's, you know, I don't have a, you know, I'm not opening for Celine Dion in Vegas. Yeah. Oh, I'm so you glad you work you're working. You're being a, a great book agent instead, right? And, <laughs> and yeah. but I work at it. Anything that you want, you have to work at. So tell us how you pitch a manuscript to a publisher. It depends. I'm so sorry to say that, but when I'm pitching a novel, I and if I know the editor, and in most cases I do. I will put together a list of editors that I think might be interested. Hey, Diana, I just got, you know, I just finished this manuscript and it's so polished. It's so ready. It's a 87,000 word finished edited manuscript about a dachshund who plays basketball and, and takes care of raccoons on the weekend. I'm just making that up because I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I know that, you know, you, I know that you raise raccoons. And so I just, I thought of you, hope you're doing well. That's all I send them. I send them a quick note to ask them if they'd like to see the manuscript. If I don't know the editor very well, and if I've just met them once or twice, or I've only pitched them in the past, it's a little more formal. 
you know, dear Susan, um, thank you so much for your response to the last book. I've got another one for you. Um, you know, I consider this book a little, you know, a, a little Susan St. James meets, um, uh, you know, uh, Agatha Christie. Um, uh, fans of Patrick Rothkiss have have beta read this and they said that that this is a very similar tone. Uh, and then I give them a quick two or three sentences of the plot synopsis. You know, the young man does this and he does that and does that and blah, blah, blah. Listen, if this is a manuscript you'd like to take a look at, it's complete at 108,000 words. I'd love to send it to you. And then if they say yes, which in most cases they do, if I've done my job right, I send them a Word document, double-spaced, 12-point, Times Roman. I have to form it, you know, format it. Um, and I send it over to them. And then I wait a couple months because they put it on, on their pile to be read. But right now, I mean, here it is. You and I are talking... Uh, in a particular, I won't say which month because I don't know when this is going to air. But in a particular month, my my editors are reading books that they got three four months ago. They're they're I mean they're not going to get to my manuscript no matter how amazing it is. Uh-huh. And I know I'm making this a very long answer, but the third option is, dear Jennifer, I have a hot one. It has you have to respond. I'm afraid within the next ten days. I'm putting this out there because there's a lot of interest. Um, I'm happy to send you the proposal, but please know that that I'm you know I'm closing this down in ten days. I, I need you to read it, respond, get back to me because this is hot, 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 and this is why. And then I give them the reasons. You know, it's like the Sesame Street book. It's you know uh, HBO has already decided to distribute it in December. It'll be on HBO Max. It's Universal Studios has picked up the option for international. It's uh, it won Sundance this year, and then I give her a whole bunch of reasons why it's hot. Wow, that does sound pretty hot. <laughs> if it it's is, on HBO. The pitch is different depending on who I'm speaking to, what the project is. Yeah. So really, you do, you also have to do a lot of cultivating of the relationships you have with publishers, so that you. You know them and they know you, you know what they want. They can trust that you're not going to throw garbage at them. You know, that's, it's all part of what you do is that relationship building. Yeah. I made a lot of mistakes my first few months. I just started pitching editors that I looked up online and yeah, they took my manuscripts, but I didn't get very far. And what I realized is I needed to do it. I needed to approach it like I did with my book. In my book selling world, I needed to make a side to sit down on Zoom and have meetings with them, get to know them, find out who is getting married next month and, you know, who has kids and and get to know them and then send them my pitches. So I, I wasted a little time at the beginning. Um, now people know. I don't know if they know for sure I won't send them garbage, but I know that they know me and it makes it a lot easier. Isn't that great? You know, you can't get away from relationships, right? In terms yeah. of any any avenue of business, it's still going to be better for you if you incorporate an understanding of relationship and the power of it. Yeah, absolutely. And That's- it doesn't help if you can fake being charming. <laughs> fake being charming. Okay. Okay. I got to get back to one thing you said, which was when you were talking about your ideal book would be 
a sweeping historical fiction covering a thousand years, but it would only be one book. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, is this a 700 page book? Like yeah. what? <laughs> is this, what like a Harry this is like a Harry Potter book, right? Like it's 700 pages. I know that, the, and, but again, Edward Rutherford does it and it's not 700 pages. It's four or 500. Um, there are books out, but what I said was they're, they're already doing them in historical fiction. I'd love to see them in sci-fi or fantasy. That's what I'm saying. Ah, so okay. if, if you, if you look up New York or Paris or Sarum or any of those books, you will see uh, one book, a standalone book that covers a huge arc in time. And I, that's what I'm interested in right now, personally reading. Interesting. Yeah. Well, maybe, the, maybe we have a listener out there who's going to do that or who's in the midst of doing that. Wouldn't that be fun? It would be. <laughs> well, okay. One last uh, question for you. And that is Amy, what's your best advice to people just starting out as a writer? I've already given it. No, I <laughs> My best advice, if you're just starting out as a writer, okay, read, 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 read your genre, read current. You know, I love books that were written in the 90s as much as everyone else, but that's because I'm old. I don't care your age. Read current in your genre is one of the best ways to learn your craft is to read the masters of your craft, read really good books um that are that are noted for their craft and you will learn a lot i it's interesting you should say that i tell my book coach clients the exact same thing that in order to be a good writer you have to be a good reader and you have to spend the time understanding why is this good not just oh it's good and it got the new york times bestseller blah blah but you want to know why Yep. What makes it good? And you, if you don't know what makes it good, you can't rep replicate that. No painter or singer or sculptor or golfer, no one ever just, just erupted with natural talent and became successful in any artistic, I consider golf somewhat artistic, um, in any artistic endeavor. Yet so many writers think that all they have to do is just regurgitate their thoughts on page and they'll be brilliant. It doesn't work that way. It's craft. Yes, it's talent, but it's also craft. Mm -hmm. You need talent and you need craft and you need patience and you need money and you need time. Uh, it all goes into it. But reading, when you ask my most important, I think that's probably the most important. I think you're absolutely right. And treating it like it's not just that I'm reading for fun. It, I'm reading to understand and I'm reading this to improve my craft. Mm -hmm. Well, Amy, this has been so delightful and I've learned so much from you and I hope that my listeners have as well. And I'm very glad that we had this chance to chat. And would would you like us to put in the show notes the, um, the website address for Talcott Notch? Well, yes, but um, if anyone's interested in querying me, they can go to amysadvice.com. A-M-Y-S-A-D-V-I-C-E, amysadvice.com. And from there, they can find Talcott Notch. They can find my query page. They can find everything. Okay. Including a way to get a hold of me if they have questions. Awesome. Wonderful. Thanks so much for your time, your wisdom, and your perspective. We really value what you've contributed here. And uh, 
please have a great rest of your day. And I'm sure you're going to go read a book right now, right? <laughs> Actually, I'm going to write a pitch, but yes. Okay. Thank you so much. Again, I'm a huge fan of everything you're doing. Thank you so much, Amy. You take care. So thank you so much for joining us at Buzz on Book Biz. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, could you give us a five-star review on Apple Podcast? That would be terrific. Information and links about today's guest are in the show notes. And if you'd like to connect with me, please visit my website, rochellewiseman.com. And my email is rochelle at rochellewiseman.com. So until next time, stay safe and read a good book. Bye for now.